Choose a job you love and you would never have to work a day in your life. Chat and Chill with Tito Chapman is a new segment on the Minor Bubble podcast which delves into the career path and more of our special guests. In so doing, guests will share their job responsibilities and much more. Welcome to another edition of Chat and Chill. I'm your host, Tito Chapman, and today we have a special guest with us, Tesfa Mattis. Tesfa, could you give us a brief synopsis about yourself? Um, all right, so firstly, thanks for having me on your podcast. You know, um, I guess a brief synopsis about myself. I am a social worker here in Toronto. I've been working here in Toronto. Uh, I work in Toronto presently, um, but I've been a social worker, I would say, um, on a full-time regular basis since probably 2003, I would say. Um, Before that, it was part-time, but working, uh, I would say, on a Monday to Friday basis, you know, uh, since 2003. And how how has your career evolved? You said you started working since two thousand and three. That has been that is approximately eighteen years now. So how has your career evolved? What have you done in order to enhance your skill set? Well, first, um, I was working like mainly at the local level. You know, um, where you you see problems of like. Poverty, so you have poverty, which, you know, impacts housing and food insecurity or food yes. security. Um, and then, you know, issues of like inner city, working with inner city youth. So you have, um, you may see like violence, police abuse. Uh, you look deeper into the homes, you may come across some substance use slash abuse, domestic violence. Um, you see how the schools are underfunded, but I was working on the community level and we're just dealing with, like, I see person A and it's like, okay, this person is struggling with their academics. So yes. I help with the academics. Um, and I would say, although, yes, that's a good thing, um, in the initial stages, we focus solely on the academics and as time went on, you realize that there's so many layers to these issues. Um, but I guess in just starting out, you know, we weren't trained to dig deep and investigate and see what's going on. Those things get passed on. So in terms of my professional development, I found that we're always dealing with the surface issues, what we'd call it, the behaviors that we see. Mm-hmm. And we weren't doing anything to, not anything. We weren't doing much to change the bigger issues, the societal issues. So that's one of the reasons why I was like, okay, let me go beyond, for example, just college and bachelor's. And when I got my master's, I started to do more clinical work, more group work, more policy work that influences change across the system. Mm. Okay, great. So... You at a at a once you have a bachelor's, um, prior to your bachelor's, sorry, that means yeah. in at, at the CJB level, right? Because you, you went to school in Montreal. What what course of study with would a student be required to take if they want to actually go into the field of social work when they move on to let's say McGill or Concordia? So, um. Here in Toronto, it's different. Um, so you do a bachelor's um, in social work, uh, whereas in, you know, um, in Montreal, after high school, everyone has to go to college. Whereas out here in Toronto, college is optional. You go to college or you go to university. Mm-hmm. Um, you you choose. But um, for me, I went to college. Uh, Dawson, I went to Dawson and I took social service work which Mm -hmm. is a three-year program. So in order to get into, for example, a bachelor's, you need to do those prerequisite courses. Um, Mm -hmm. 
so one of the prerequisite courses, for example, is psychology. You need mm -hmm. to do two psychologies at the college level before they would even look at you for a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's helping you. And then you also have to do something that uh, we call placement, where it's like, okay, you go into this. It could be a hospital. It could be child welfare. So child welfare is like, um, and I'm just going to explain it because everyone may not know what it is, but a child welfare agency is like, you have kids who are being subjected to abuse, neglect. So a child welfare agency is like, you can go in to provide support. And if it's extreme, one of the uh, extreme measures that are taken, if the child is in danger, the child is removed from the home. So it's not for everyone. Um, and doing your, your practicums or your placements helps you get to get a better sense of like, okay, what is this field really about? And what are some of the things you're going to be encountered? You yes. know, and it's not for everyone because you can imagine you go in a house and you show up and you can say, okay, well, you know what? Um, we have concerns for this child. Um, uh, the parents, the parents are, you know, this is, this is their child. So they're going to become very, very, emotional about it and you're going to be you're going to receive all of their anger you know um so mm -hmm. it, it helps you to figure out is this for me now i personally can't do child welfare i choose not to um mm -hmm. but i work in spaces that other people cannot work in they won't work in so you know there there's many different avenues you can take once you have the degree okay so um, child welfare is one aspect. What about right. pers persons who, um, let's say, someone who's been incarcerated? When right. when an evaluation is done, um, it's usually required that someone from social, um, well, someone who does social work go in and do that evaluation. What aspect of of social work is that? Um. So when a person is in custody, um, mm -hmm. so for example, I, and I have, I have a lot of experience working in facilities, um, adult facilities and youth facilities. So for example, yes. when you look at the adults, you have, I've had people who are in custody and sentenced um, for driving a vehicle while under the influence causing death so they they kill someone um yes. you know because they were driving under the influence now let's say they got sentenced for five years they got a sentence of five years you only have to do two-thirds of your sentence so all of this is calculated um and it gives you um the system tells them and everyone working with them, that the earliest release date would be, for example, December 1st. Let's say that's the earliest release date coming up. So they can apply. It's their right to apply for early release, you know, mm -hmm. or parole. Um, and my job or our job as the clinicians in the jail would be to assess how this person has done the entire time they've been in custody? Have they engaged in any of the programs, the rehabilitative programs? Have they shown remorse? Um, do they have a concrete plan? So a job, are they going to school? Who are they going to be living with? Have they shown that they can follow the rules that would grant early release? Um, you look at a number of things and then we also have to see about the victim's family and say, well, okay, because it, it, it can become very political depending on, you know, how high profile the case has been. But yes. um, if, if they've shown that they are truly remorseful and they don't have bad behavior or charges that they've accrued while in jail, then there is a chance they can get out. But um, our job is to look at all the facts, 
write a report, submit it to the courts, um, mm -hmm. and we say yes or no. This is our recommendation. Yes, because we think this person has, you know, been able to take advantage of whatever is offered and the chances of them engaging in dangerous behavior is low. Or we say, no, this person shouldn't be released because based on our assessment, this person is at high risk of continuing to engage in dangerous behavior. So that's okay, what we so do in jail. Mm -hmm. So in, in a case like that, um, having such large, um, having a large population, they are actually persons who are dedicated to just that aspect or, you know, it's a case by case situation where, you know, for a certain area, you would have a specific amount and you have other things that you're working on. No, you have other things you're working on because it's not every day someone is going to apply for early release. So you can be doing groups, you can be doing um, case management meetings, which everyone has to have a case management meeting. So the moment you get arrested, um, mm -hmm. within the first 30 days, you have to have a case management meeting. And that just looks at um, the charges, you know, what are you going to do while you're here? There has to be a plan. You need some groups, whether it be, you know, you need to work on substance-related issues. Um, mm -hmm. you, you have a lot of anti-social thinking, thinking and slash behaviors. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you, we are doing a lot of things, and we also do... And this is where the master's comes in. So you, this is why you need a master's to work in these places because mm -hmm. a huge part of what we do involves individual counseling and family counseling and writing assessments. Mm. Understandable. And what what are some of the characteristics you would say that you know one must be able to have in order to be successful in this field in terms of reaching, you know, the persons who they come in contact with? Um, I think that's that's um, a difficult question because, for example, I wouldn't want to work in child welfare. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to. I don't want to go into, and even though it's not as often, you know, as it used to be, I don't want to be put in a position where I'm going into your house with, I show up to your house with the police and we take your child. It's not mm. what I want to do. Whereas some people, they're like, you know what? This is part of the work. I'm going to do this. That's fine. So they have the stomach to do that. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is, you have to know yourself. Um, I work in some areas that I come into people who, I come into contact with people who commit um, heinous acts dangerous people who would be considered dangerous um yes. that doesn't shake me i'm comfortable you know mm -hmm. and i know people who wouldn't dare set foot in there you know um sometimes people want they get aggressive sometimes they want to fight um mm -hmm. you know i'm me i'm comfortable you know um so i think you and this is where your 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 practicums in school help you to realize help you to figure out what setting can i work in you know mm -hmm. um i've been in shelters for a long time some people don't want to be around homeless people that doesn't bother me to be around homeless people you know mm -hmm. um and then you have some people who would work in like a senior's home uh, or a hospital rather or a senior's home and mm -hmm. They're, they're working on the um, in palliative care. Those persons are going to die. I personally can't work in palliative care. You know, whereas other people, like, it's, it's not that it's easy, but they're comfortable there. For them, mm -hmm. this is the work that they feel comfortable doing. So it depends. You definitely have to, I think, regardless of the um, clientele you choose to work with, you mm -hmm. definitely have to have a lot of patience. Um, yes. You know, um, you 
try your hardest to not be judgmental. And that's easier said than done because we all have our biases and our stereotypes. And you got to figure those things out before you step into some of these places because, you know, people, you know, I've met people who have raped um, young kids. Um, mm-hmm. Do I do I agree with what they've done? No. My job is still to help these people. Um, I've met people who've committed murders. Um, I don't agree with what they've done, but my job is to help them. So I couldn't walk in there and be a professional and say, okay, I'm going to be here to offer clinical work to these people if I'm feeling like in the back of my mind, I'm judging them for what has happened. So I I try not to do that. And there are times when I do and I say, you know what? I can't work with this client. And I pass it off to someone else. Oh, so you have that option. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the best thing to do. Like if Mm -hmm. I, if me and a client have a poor therapeutic relationship, I cannot work. Mm, okay. Um, so whatever reasons you have some mm-hmm. I had a woman who told me like she didn't think that I should be her therapist so so many mm-hmm. things come into play income race she felt that because she's white and I'm black um, she felt that she was uh, superior to me so mm-hmm. she didn't want me to be her therapist okay you know um should we have switched her? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Um, mm-hmm. I chose not to work with her because, like, this woman needs help. She doesn't want the help from me. Um, and I'm not going to it, – it's, there's just too many barriers in the way right now. And we, we don't have that. She's here with us for a maximum of 14 days, and then she's going to be transferred. So someone give her the triage she needs. And give her the support and then send her on away. So, uh, and in, in cases like those, in cases like those where you have those situations and you, you know, you are understanding to what the client needs and you make that necessary recommendations, that necessary recommendation, what gives the client, the patient, um, that assurance that whatever is said, you know, is confidential. Do they have to sign a confidentiality agreement before, you know, the session starts, you know? So before any session, your Mm -hmm. job, your duty is to go over the limits of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So not everything is confidential, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, just this morning, we have a young woman who showed up to us and um, she wants sanctuary. So essentially, she doesn't want to be seen in the public. You know, we have some some young women who are trying to get out of human trafficking and whatnot. So we have this young woman who comes to us this morning. And um, she says, my boyfriend, um, he beats me up. Um, I also think I'm pregnant, but I can't be around him right now because he beats me up and he also has a gun in the house. Mm-hmm. So, and this is like around nine o'clock this morning. So one of the first things I said was, we have to make some decisions that you're not going to like, you know, mm-hmm. because not everything is confidential. The moment you say that, you know, you disclose that whether it be you're in danger or someone is in danger, those are the things that have to be reported. If you tell me you're going to hurt yourself, someone's going to hurt you, um, Mm -hmm. that has to be reported, especially because, and this is why this had to be reported today. You're saying you saw a gun. Okay. So right there, that's an illegal firearm that this person has, according to her. Say, I'm in danger. I need your help. And by extension, I'm pregnant, so my child could also be in danger. My unborn child could also be in danger. We have to report that. And that's just not in social work. Teachers have to report it. Nurses have to report it. It's just, there's a duty to report. 
But if you do not report, if you do not report it and something happens... You are liable. Ah, okay. okay. You are liable. Once, once information becomes available that they did reach out and... Once it has it. been disclosed, mm -hmm. if you do not report it and something happens, you are liable. Mm -hmm. Because we all are a part of a registration college where we take these every year. We have to say we we take an oath, for example. It's kind of like an oath. And we pay mm -hmm. for this. So you are part of a professional body. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a duty to report. Mm -hmm. And if you fail to do so, your license could be revoked. Um, you will be found liable. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's no question about that. So if you look at all the paperwork, you'll see limits to confidentiality. And that's why it says limits to confidentiality. And it has to be explained. And it's explained every single time a person comes in. Because when some people hear confidentiality, they think, oh, I can tell you anything and you can't say anything to anyone. That's not true. That is far from true. So in 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 essence, in essence, then um, social workers have to be licensed by the different provinces. Um, if yes. so, if so that you can only practice in that specific province, right? Yeah, but it's not hard to get registered. Like you go somewhere else. Like for mm -hmm. example, if I wanted to go work in the states, I go mm -hmm. and I fill out the necessary paperwork. Some states may require me to do a test or an exam or something, and then you you take mm -hmm. it and then, you know, because so with that the laws are different. Mm -hmm. I mean, even so, here in Ontario, child mm -hmm. welfare is different here in Ontario than it is in Quebec. Mm -hmm. How so? Um, when it comes to protection issues, like an apprehension, that's so take child, for example, and just investigating mm -hmm. allegations of abuse when children are concerned. In Ontario, um, 16, mm -hmm. where if you're over 16, they're, they're very reluctant to investigate um, issues of child protection. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes directly to, to the police. So someone's going to investigate it, but not child welfare agencies. Um, because they figure so I, you're almost aged out because you age out at 18. Whereas in, uh, in Quebec, it's those things are investigated up until your 18th birthday. You know, um, mm. the schooling system is different. Mm -hmm. You know, so teachers are, teachers make a lot more calls in Quebec than they do here because here you have a lot more social workers in the schools who are working directly with the students. So in a working working in the schools through an arrangement or it's just that, you know, the school board No, they're working for the school board. Oh, okay. 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 So once they're working for the school board, they're working around the clock then. Yeah, they're in the schools and you know, you're, in the, you're in the schools you're in the schools any issues uh, a person um, reports that they've been abused if you feel mm -hmm. like if a child says he or she is feeling suicidal you are in there so how I mean the schools are big so how many social workers you have for and that's the problem there's like about for just the Toronto District School Board, and I only know this stat because it was mentioned this week by a supervisor. Um, mm -hmm. There are 600 schools in the Toronto District School Board. That's just the Toronto District School Board. You also have um, the Toronto Catholic District School Board, and then you have the school board in like for Mississauga and Brampton. And Caledon, so Peel, you have a bunch of school boards, but for just Toronto alone, there's, uh, I think she said, 600 schools with 92 social workers. Wow. Yeah. So that means, you know, that specific 
that specific stat indicates that, you know, social workers present in this school is undermanned in some way, shape, or form. Yes, because, because you can't get to every single school. You yes. Each social worker has like multiple schools. There's no way they're gonna be able to really build strong therapeutic relationships with the students. There's no way. There's just too many. So a lot of people um sad sadly fall through the cracks. But okay, pe- persons fall through the cracks. You know, and that's understandable. But are there social workers who have private practices that offer these services in communities where, you know, they need it? For example, if you have um, a community where you have a lot of underprivileged persons, are there services readily available for them? Or So there's know, community so- resources, um, for sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. As far as private practice is concerned, you have mm-hmm. a bunch of people who offer private practice. But private mm-hmm. practice is expensive. You're talking about like easily $160 for an hour. And ah, so that is geared towards the elites. Yeah, because ther- therapy is not cheap, you know. Um, but you do have some community agencies who. Mm-hmm. They have supports for students. Um, mm-hmm. But again, a lot of it is just dealing with the micro stuff. Like, you know, okay, we give out food. We have, like a youth in motion, we have some after-school programs. You know, we have, um, we're going to take you on trips. So they're doing things to keep the students and the, the youth in the community engaged in a positive way. And it's good work. This is where I started. Mm-hmm. It's important work. But as mm-hmm. far as, you know, um, things on a macro level, you know, it's not really happening at those, at the community centers because many community centers, and you've seen Youth in Motion, these places are underfunded. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to do so much with a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember Youth in Motion, like, Every Wednesday, we're getting food from Costco, getting bread and all these things to give to families. And it's the food that Costco doesn't want. And some of it is already being, some of it is already spoiled. Spoiled. So you have to, you have to look to it and say, well, I can't give them that. And some people have no food that they're like, yo, give it to me. It has some mold. I'll just cut it off. Mm. Because... for the benefit of our listening audience, could you just, you know, give a, a a more detailed overview, if you can, of what um you know what is Youth in Motion? Where is it located? So Youth in and... Motion is a community center um in Montreal, and it's in an area of Montreal called Little Burgundy. So that's one of the places where I used to work and um for a couple of years and um. We we were, I want to say we were about four, three full-time people on the team, but four in total. And we we're trying to service a community of a couple thousand, you know, and seriously, seriously underfunded, you know. Um, but everyone in the community felt like, or they knew that I need help. I'm going to go to Youth in Motion, mm-hmm. you know. And it's because Youth in Motion has been around for a while. They they have a good reputation. But we couldn't service everyone's need, you know. And that's, that's one of the issues with um, the community level um, because the government doesn't fund the community level the way that it should. And the reason I think... Um, social services on a whole doesn't get the funding that it should is because you can't you can't the government they can't track prevention they can't say well okay we gave this this community center for example mm-hmm. $500,000 and in doing so 
that was in doing so we helped to improve you know the overall living conditions of many people in the area um, mm-hmm. crime went, was also down they're not going to do that you see because you're giving that money not knowing what the outcome is going to be whereas it's easier to say okay something bad happened now we're going to give you money and the problem with that is they give you the money it's like when this one student was killed in the school they give you the money they say here are all go get all the resources you need okay doing follow up no they give you the money mm-hmm. the problem is you do a good job now with this money they say okay problem resolved they take all the money back or you never get that money again that's it mm-hmm. so the community work is not mm-hmm. something that you say okay well we're just going to allocate some funds to this issue or these issues mm-hmm. for two years okay. and then after that that's it you're not getting it again but it helps their cause because then they can put it in their books and they can get they can run their elections off of that and say oh we did this we did this. they come they take their photo ops done mm-hmm. done you know but at youth in motion we so many times we would spend our own money because we recognize that listen there there's a serious need here and mm-hmm. this is where we we went out and yes it wasn't the best but we said Costco said okay we're going to give you guys we're going to give you guys some food on Wednesdays and as you know our doors were filled on Wednesdays people are lining up for stale food and that's horrible when you think about it yeah it's horrible but then when you can't do any better you take advantage of the little well, we could do better are... we could mm-hmm. it's just they don't want to give the money yeah right 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 so right. There, and that's why i say like when i was working at the community level i'm just seeing the what's right in front of me Mm-hmm. and i'm not realizing oh, oh there's a different way to to fight this issue mm-hmm. you know and that's why the you know the more exposure you exposure you get you say okay well we we can we can have meetings with local councilors um the politicians and whatnot to address this food insecurity issue to address these crime issues to address mm-hmm. the schools being underfunded you know um So I don't think my masters makes me smarter by any means. Um actually college was the hardest for me. My bachelor's was easy, my masters was easy. But what it what it has done is it, it allows me to be in places where I can be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And to influence policy. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't step into the prisons to work. I couldn't step into the school boards with my college degree. And I'm not saying people should go get a master's. I'm just talking about what it is, what is your ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. So if you want to influence change on a wider scale, you know, I've found that it's so difficult to do from the community level. I found it's really difficult. Okay, so in essence, in essence what you're 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 saying is that you know, if you have a bachelor's degree in social work, you're basically you're basically more centered around social work within the community. Yeah, because... it's like you're you're and this is with no disrespect because I've done it for so long, but I just felt mm-hmm. after a while I'm just plugging the holes. Plugging mm-hmm. this hole and then five more open up mm-hmm. you know and you you you're really just going through the motions you know but then what, and what what do you say to persons who are just comfortable at that level and that's what i said then it, it all depends on what your goals are if that's if that's where mm-hmm. you are and that's where you want to be then that's fine i guess mm-hmm. i just got annoyed with seeing the same issues over and over. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And so feeling like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, 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 not, we're not really changing much. We're not really changing much. I can, I can meet with you, sure, we can do all these things, but we, so you can be, for as far as young people, we've had young people who present really well when they're in youth in motion, they feel good. You know, they go into their schools or wherever and they feel neglected. Um, they they go home and it's like there's the rent can't be paid. And all of these things, you started, you realize these are not just individual problems. This is problems that people are dealing with in the community. Why is that? Mm-hmm. There's a housing issue. These Apartments are not being taken care of. People are exposed to mold, you know, this infestation. Why is that? Mm-hmm. And you literally drive five minutes away and people have better housing. So we know that this is possible. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. Like, it all depends on, I guess, what you want to take on. And each uh-huh. fight is a good fight, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just felt for me, that's what I'm saying for me. Um, I just feel I just felt like, yo, you know what? I, I'm running into this same and I'm getting frustrated about it. So mm-hmm. let me try and take things to another level. You know. And so so far, how 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 do you think you have been able to, you know, to um what you call it? Influence change? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so as far as the school system goes, if you look at the data, mm-hmm. there now there's something called the school-to-prison pipeline. This mm-hmm. is a real thing. And the mm-hmm. Toronto District School Board and many other school boards um, mm-hmm. in North America, I don't want to just say the Toronto District School Board, they've been criticized for... Um, their high suspension rates of black children. Right? So for for same behaviors that a white student, for example, may get suspended for, a black student will get expelled for. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's just higher suspension and expulsion rates. You could look it up. Mm-hmm. And um, being at the table... And saying, well, if we're going to look at progressive discipline, mm-hmm. then we need to do more and just kick these kids out of school. Mm-hmm. So the conversations change when you get to the table. You know, um, another issue is everyone talks about mental health. Well, in the prisons and um, let's just say in society, in, in this North American society, mm-hmm. you have a number of black youth who have, and indigenous youth who have mental health related issues. But when they come into contact with service providers, some of them are social workers as well, doctors, psychiatrists, you name it. There mm-hmm. is this reluctancy to name their struggle as a mental health one. Instead, they just label it as behavior and it gets criminalized. So you have Mm. people who've come into the prison and they have mental health issues. They they could be dealing with psychosis, schizophrenia, you name it. Mm -hmm. And then you have persons who say, well, no, that's just behavior. Put them in solitary confinement, lock them up. And then you'll see the same staff members, the same psychologists, the same guards, the same sergeants. You'll see a white person and displaying the same behaviors. And they say, oh, we need to get this person some treatment. Mm-hmm. So you start to see the disparity there and the unfair treatment. You say, well, hold on a second. Let me push this further. And let's have mm-hmm. some equal access to treatment here. And not everyone's going to like us. But that's okay. But there needs to be equal access to treatment. 
because we are here to provide mental health treatment, psychosocial mm -hmm. treatment, rehabilitative treatment, individual counseling. Let's do this. Let's not just throw those people to the side and say, it's just behavior. So as a social worker, you can pick up these tendencies just by the way a person is interacting or behaving? Of course. Because we have to, for example, anytime you, anytime a person gets brought into a custody setting, mm -hmm. there's a screening, especially the youth, and no, even the adult, there's a screening mm -hmm. that happens. There's a mental health screening that happens. Especially, uh -huh. and if we are seeing some behaviors, and there's something, so it'll be on your alerts. So, you know, if you can imagine a person's like, you know, when you get arrested, um, there's your picture, what you're charged with. Yes. And, and then there's a part on, on the paper that will say, it's like alerts. And sometimes they'll say, uh, known to carry weapons, known gang member. Or it can say um, mental health related issues. Mm -hmm. Right? Possible this, possible this. You get a bunch of reports of people, mm -hmm. right? Even before they get involved with the judicial system, there are people in schools we do the assessments. And then you have psychologists who will do an even further in depth assessment and make a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The psychologists, the psychiatrists, they all make their diagnoses. So we know, but sometimes it can be looked at as, oh, this is just behavior. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to go look it up. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and, and, mm -hmm. and this is why many of these places have said, we need to diversify our workforce. We need to diversify our team, rather, because there needs to be, things need to be looked at through a different lens. And everyone is saying this anti-oppressive lens, things need to be looked at through a different lens because for a long time, mm -hmm. um, mental health in the Black community has been so taboo and no one wants to say it. But when mm -hmm. you come into schools, like there's a lot of treatment that young people are not getting when they're dealing with mm -hmm. mental health. They just get suspended or expelled or locked up. And we, which, is, which is bad because... Yes, yeah, especially yeah. if they're if they can have access to treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's and where we what, get to shift things. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, you have said, you have, you have said a, a mouthful. And what I gather from your mouthful is that, okay, mental health is important um, going forward. And at the same time, in order to ensure that you cover all ends, you know, um, there must be collaborative work between the prisons and the social worker, the workers in the prison, the social worker, the psychologists, and you know any other key personnel. But how is that? How is that network between all of the other key persons that you know deal with teachers and you know everybody? How is that networking going? Because is is there a, a what you call it a specific um, access point where you can get certain information that is is um, easily available. So say, for example, you have to deal with someone in the prison. If right. they have a medical history, you know, can you get that? Can you get that information easily? Can you get the records from previous um, issues with the law and all of that? You know, oh, yeah, it's how... very easy to get. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of that paperwork follows you. So if mm -hmm. you have access to it, you have access to it. And in our mm -hmm. case management meetings, mm -hmm. um, whoever, so each person has a case management team. Mm -hmm. And they're going to know your, your entire history. Yes. You know, so we have those reports. In mm -hmm. the school system, they have like a student record that would have tracked you from the moment you were in grade one. It'll track every single suspension, um, mm -hmm. any assessments that have been done, 
everything is there. Ah. Everything, everything is there. But now, no. not not everyone can look into that file, but ah. there are people on the case management team. Several of us can definitely look into it. But we, where would that file be sent to? For example, okay, you said a child in in elementary school, um, if they got suspended, that would be on the record. It'll so, be at their home school, whichever school they attend. Ah, okay. That's okay. where it's gonna be. Okay. And again, okay. not all the teachers would be able to look in there, but mm-hmm. um for example, you can ask your vice principal and your principal, the guidance counselor, some people can look into it, but not everyone has access to it. Mm-hmm. But the information is there uh, for some people to say. So you may not be able to look into a file. I can mm-hmm. look into it, and then I can speak about it in the meeting. You just can't look into it. But then you, how, don't have, okay. you don't have access. I understand. I understand all of that. But then you know, aren't there any barriers? For example, you are the social worker. You go in. I, I suppose you have to. Or if you call, you have to present your credentials. Right. And I don't think that this is information that you can get over the phone. So you'll have to do a physical visit. Yes. So now, in doing mm-hmm. the physical visit, the principal. Um, wouldn't he have to, you know, call the, the specific person responsible for his school board area to say, well, okay, we have this situation here and we have a Mr. Mattis who is No, no, no. To... No, because, again, if you're working mm-hmm. in the schools, right, you, you could mm-hmm. have like six schools. Mm-hmm. So if you can go and access those paperwork for any of your six schools. You can't go uh, to another person's schools and access school. that information. But if it's one of your, if it's in your family of schools, you can mm-hmm. go and the principal will know who you are because ah, you're okay. working on that team. Okay. It is your job to support the students in all of those six schools. Yourself, the mm-hmm. psychologists, the child and youth workers, this is your job. Mm-hmm. So you have access. Okay, but then, okay. That's understandable, but suppose you're dealing, let's say you're working in a prison and you're dealing with a specific um, person who is incarcerated, right? You know, you you get his his rap sheet from the prison yep. itself. But suppose you need additional information that you need to to get, and that you that is not readily available from his. You rap ask sheet. the probation officer. Uh, you ask the probation officer, and the probation probation officer would contact the school. You know, mm-hmm. um, we can also call family members. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to get the information. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Getting the information is not hard. Mm-hmm. I think majority of the times, what happens is people ignore the information. Getting it is not hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially so, for the youth prison, they mm-hmm. want to make the purpose of youth prison is rehabilitation and reintegration. So they want to give you everything you need to be mm-hmm. a better person and reintegrate you back into society in a healthy manner. So everything is given to you. And and do you you just have you... to you just have to look at it. Mm-hmm. And as you as you say that, um, do you think do you think that you know social workers um, ten years from now? Do you think that there needs to be a lot more social workers um, coming into the field? And how how do you, as a present social worker, um, influence you know a school with a school with let's say you know, 12 or 15 students that what you are doing is beneficial and they themselves could impact others if they enter the field of social work because you are able to do X, Y, Z? Well, like I said, um, there are 600 schools and 92 social workers. Mm -hmm. So um, I think more are needed for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is, you're doing a lot of what what is called brief therapy. 
mm-hmm. and then referrals. That is a, hu- a huge part of the job in the school system is referrals because you just don't have the time to do intensive work with all of these students. Some schools have a thousand plus students. Mm-hmm. There's no way you are going, if you are doing intensive work, you would have to be at one school every single day. And that's not possible. But the, it's not possible because there's a shortage. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're just, it's like triage. Okay, what's the problem? Tell me, mm-hmm. da, 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 I'll do like five sessions with you and then I'm going to refer you out. Okay, who do I see next? And it, it really depends on the level, the severity. Of course, mm-hmm. if a person, if a student is suicidal, that's who we're going to. Mm-hmm. Right? A student is depressed. Sorry, you're going to have to wait. And there's dangers in that because depression can bring you to thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. So, but in terms of severity, you're going to go to the person who is suicidal and you may never see that student that wanted to see you about depression. And that's uh, a problem. Yeah, and that's and that's why you said earlier that the you know this this system is failing many. Yes. Because there's a lot, you know, we, we tend to look at the people who are doing a lot of or exhibiting a lot of behaviors. Mm-hmm. But the quiet person could be struggling even even more mm-hmm. than the person who is like, you know, yelling and breaking glass and you know. There's a person who's sitting in the corner quiet who who is engaging in like self-harming behaviors on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But if you were there, if you were in the school more and it's no one's fault, it's the way how the system is. If you were in the school more, you'd probably get to know that person. And, and, and that sounds about right. Um... So that's why I'm saying like, Mm-hmm. When you first start, you you only you, you know you only know what you know, man. So when you first start out, you see everything that's in front of you, and mm-hmm. you're not trained to really pay attention to the things that you know aren't you're not seeing. Because yes. you say to yourself, "Okay, well, I'm seeing these students, and it's easy to think that." This is; these are the only students in the school that have issues, mm-hmm. and you will literally. I have literally walked past students who later on I found out they were struggling, mm-hmm. and they just thought I was too busy because I'm over here on the students who are fighting in and out of custody, this and that. But then there's other students who are sitting down in the corner, never eating because you know what. Um, they're they have all their these issues around depression, self-esteem. They're being beat at home. You know what I mean. You name it. But we don't, don't, don't look at those people. Don't don't you do uh, don't um, social workers do sessions with teachers so that teachers could pick up, you know these one. Well, then two. the teachers. I mean the teachers as well. You know, you have mm. some teachers who like they have like forty kids in a classroom. Ah, they're not gonna see everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that they're not gonna. It... It's 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 impossible. Yeah, because they're more focused on, 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 on getting the curriculum done, ensuring yeah. that you know they provide all the necessary information that right. needs to be provided. They're not gonna see everyone, mm-hmm. and you know how hard it is for a student to say I'm struggling. Yes, yeah. to to someone who they feel like oh, I don't really I don't even really know that teacher. Mm. Yes, because children, children themselves have trust issues, and yeah. oftentimes, you know, even though they may want to talk to somebody, they're not going to open up because you it's know, very hard. Might... That's very hard yeah. to do. Yeah, it's very because... hard to go and be vulnerable with a stranger. Yes, you know, but I mean, like, we don't. We just we tend to focus on what's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a shift needs to happen where it's like, okay, let's do proper assessments um, mm-hmm. of 
the community, the schools, and get an accurate sense of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, and but in doing so, you need to go to the government and the various school boards and say, look, we need more funding. You know, we cannot adequately address the amount of issues that we are dealing with with 92 social workers. You can, you just can't. Mm. You and know. Do, do, and, and, the, and the same is true in like the prison, the child mm. welfare, their caseloads are so high. It's one mm. person trying to do all, it's impossible. Mm. And that's what I mean, like the micro level, you'll just stay there and you'll be like, oh no, no, I'm just looking about my, my caseload and but then you start to realize, hold on, <laughs> you you would have worked with, you're starting to work with an entire family. And say, so, I used to work with your brother. Now I'm working with you. And then I'm going to work mm-hmm. with the younger brother. Like something is wrong mm-hmm. in with, with this picture here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You realize that's... systemically there's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's not just an individual problem. There's a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. But don't don't they have don't they have systems in place where you have um, a social worker association or anything of that sort where you know you guys come together to you know speak about the ills that are happening and how you know you guys could move forward to do things a bit differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we definitely do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's just when you had asked about the education and whatnot, um, I guess you, those conversations are there and, you know, anyone can go, but um, mm-hmm. for some reason, they usually only have those conversations or for me, I can say me. Mm-hmm. I only heard about those conversations when I was after I did my master's. Mm-hmm. They don't talk to you about policy and stuff like that when you're doing, doing stuff at the community level. Mm-hmm. You have a manager and things who are doing it. You don't hear about mm-hmm. it. Okay. You know, because you're you're giving your task and you're so overwhelmed. You are mm-hmm. your task is to deal with all of the things in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I guess they feel like, why am I going to talk to those people about it? I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that one. Well, you know, it's it just, you know, I just asked the question because, you know, I, I feel that, you know, um, like you, so much more could be done. But I guess, you know, like you said, there are limitations in 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 certain areas because Look, if man. they are most social workers they may then they may not be able to pay them and i was going to say that so what are we you know we're in october yes we have had at my workplace we have had two deaths in the last three months and these mm-hmm. are overdo- overdoses on fentanyl mm-hmm. and we know we need more staff and what the executive director has said what you guys are saying makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when I go to the board and I say these things, the only thing that they're looking at is the cost. So even though it makes sense, you know, in terms of reducing the risk and the number of deaths, we've had two deaths in the last mm-hmm. three months. For them, it all comes down to dollars and cents. This is what we, we've been told. Yeah, and, and, so and then, so you're looking. We're looking at it from two mm-hmm. completely different lens. We're looking at it is okay. There's a social issue here mm-hmm. that can be easily remedied mm-hmm. if we just put more people in place to to support. You know, overdoses has gone up. I think it's over forty two percent in Toronto. Mm-hmm. 
fentanyl is like it's everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. people are using crystal meth, you name it. But the powers that be, they don't want to put more money to it. Because that's what it comes down to. If we hire more people, we have to output more money. Yeah, which which would limit the resources in other areas. Maybe. But but then are we saying we're okay with people dying in the building? Because mm. that's what's happening. Are we okay with that? And then you this this is when people are not thinking long term. You have people who are dying in our building mm. that we are we are finding them, right? And rigor mortis has already kicked in. So we don't even know how long they've been dead. So now you have people who are going to take time off. You still got to pay them. So now we're even more short. So now people, more people could overdose. So how, how you know, when, when, when that occurs, when people take time off, you know, how, how are they able to pick up the slack? Like, Look, more people, people just... have to pick it up. So you got more people feeling overwhelmed. Wow. Which which because actually at some point leads to burnout. Exactly. Ah. Okay. And you that's can imagine cool. like seeing people get hurt, seeing people die, like that's taxing. So at some point you're gonna be like, yo, <laughs> I need to I need to go on I, I need to go on stress leave. Mm-hmm. So they know how to remedy the problem. Mm-hmm. It's like many problems in society. They can be they can be fixed. They can or or addressed. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna cost money. Yes. And, and and the governments, they don't wanna do that until it's like election time. So, yeah, so that doesn't like, really happen. Yeah, it's like putting a plaster on right. a sword and hoping it's gonna heal and you know. Nothing else come of it, but what what do you say? What do you? How do you encourage? Um, how do you encourage a student? Having said all that, you have just said that you know, um, social work could be be toxic because you know you see different things that you may right. not be familiar with because you know you can have a social worker who comes from an area where they don't see so much of those things. Right, right. Know, like, of course, yeah. So, how how would you encourage a, a young person who is new in the field, haven't seen these kind of things, and you're preparing or prepping, prepping, prepping them for what is to come? Um, I think it's important to do supervision. So, mm-hmm. if you work in a place like this, um, mm-hmm. do supervision, so you can talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people call it supervision. Some people call it debrief. Mm-hmm. Um, do those things. Um, take your vacation time. Um, know when it's time to say, "Okay, um, I'm I'm feeling burned out, overwhelmed. Let me. I need to put a pause on this." Um, mm-hmm. not, I don't think anything is gonna prepare you for if some, nor should you be prepared for stuff like that. You mm-hmm. should never be unfazed um, in seeing these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You just need to know, okay, I, I need to I need to debrief with my team. We need to talk about this. I'm not doing mm-hmm. I'm, I need to take stress leave. I, I take time off. Whatever. However, you know, mm-hmm. it's just something that people need to do and because a lot of people don't do it because they think it'll, it's seen as Oh, you're 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 being weak. It's actually the one of the healthiest things to do. Yes, because in the long run, if you if you if you don't let it out, if you don't speak about it, you know, it's gonna mess you up. Right, and and we have all these places. They have, you know, whether it be the EAP program, you have the employers have um supports that the staff members can go to mm-hmm. uh, after experiencing something traumatic. Mm-hmm. 
and people are encouraged to do that because you know it's not normal mm-hmm. and the moment you make it normal there's a problem yeah 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 so different different things may arise I think different... I think we should do a part two yeah, we, we definitely would because there's a lot to talk about. And I was right, just so gonna tell you too. I was just gonna tell you, you know, give me a, a, a wrap up, you know, your closing what are what are your departing words? Um, you know. Um we... I would tell people to really uh do their research about the field. There's many areas that you can work in. Mm-hmm. Um do your research and see. Okay, do do you want to work in policy? Because some people can go straight into policy. Do you want to work in child welfare? Do you want to work with seniors? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to work? What are you trying to do? Um, so I would say do your research. What I do, I recognize is not for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So do your research and see, okay, who do I, which group do I want to work with? And do I want to focus on mental health? Do I want to social justice issues? There's many different avenues that you can take. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for... All right, you're welcome. The we'll chat. do part two. I'll look out for that. All right, then. Thanks. Have All a right. good one. Yeah, Thank you for listening to another episode of the Minor Bubble Podcast. You can follow us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also find us at www.mineabubble.com. Follow us on Facebook as well. Search for Mind a Bubble Podcast.